Amen. You may be seated. We are definitely covering the range of musical genres in that one. Yeah. And God uh, hears, hears it all. Hmm. So, from, as I mentioned in the beginning of the service, which starts at 11.15, just for a, a few of y'all to know. And, and I mentioned then, and just for the few of you that weren't here then, a lot of this comes from the, uh, the, uh, what you shared when you, uh, turned in your cards or emails uh, about what, uh, what has God given you to bring Him, uh, to, to bring to us, um, bring to God in order to help us all worship, um, from, again, 1 Corinthians 14, that we, that when we come, we all bring with us a song or a hymn or, uh, God bless you. Um, in some way that we participate and we uh, um, share with one another. God bless you. Man, going around. Uh. I need a mask. Um, and what came from that, though, was a, r- a real sense that about a, a third, maybe uh, almost a half of the, the either the issues or the questions or the things that folks uh, wanted to, to bring was around prayer. And so as I sat with that, felt like the, it's a good time then to talk about why we pray. Not so much how, we'll actually cover that in a uh, couple of weeks, but more of just why. What, in a sense, what does it accomplish, if anything? You know, why pray? And so what, in the passage that came to mind, was in Exodus chapter 32, um, starting with verse 7 through 14. And it's a, uh, that the situation is Moses has been called up by God uh, to the top of the mountain, and he's given him the Ten Commandments. And what has happened, he's been up there, you know, 40 days, and the people, they've gotten really impatient. And they're like, you know, we know Moses took us this far, but we don't know where he's, he is now. You know, he's gone, so you, Aaron was there. Let's do something else here to, to celebrate. Let's do something else to throw a party. We need to go back to the, some of the old ways that we were following um, God. So let's, uh, Aaron says, let's gather. Everybody throw in your gold. And then they melted it and made a calf and started to... Um, Celebrate and worship around the golden calf. And that's what's happening. And that's what God brings up to Moses in their conversation. And that's what leads us to our passage here. That uh, will speak to us of why we pray. It's found on page 69, your pew Bible. Exodus chapter 32, starting with verse 7. Uh, Let's pray together. Gracious God, again, we thank you for your written word. And we we ask that we would not just read it to understand it in our heads, but as well would understand it and and digest it in in our very lives and our souls uh, individually and together. Um, We need you to to lead and guide us to continue to embody your word um, together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 32, starting with verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once, your people, 
whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They've been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. And of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants. How you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So just in your own mind, why, what are the different motives that you pray? You know, why, why do, do you pray? I mean, there's probably a whole variety of different motives that we pray to God. It can be because we feel like if we pray a lot or pray more, then God will somehow weigh that in a balance, and he'll act on our behalf. Maybe God just isn't noticing things, and so we pray, hey, you know, wake up. You know, come look at this over here, God. Or or we're at the end of our rope. You know, we've tried everything else, so might as well go ahead and, and pray. I think from this passage and from the whole of Scripture, what the Word of God leads us, entices us, teaches us, the reason we pray is in order to participate in an intimate, living conversation with a living God, the living Creator of the universe, who is real, who is present, and who is active. And the reason we pray is to participate in that real living conversation, a give and take, a a speak and listen. And in that conversation, we are changed and the world is changed. I think that's what happens in this instance of God and Moses in conversation together in their time of prayer. Moses now has developed a maturity with God and a relationship with God that he's just real now. And this is a fascinating, fascinating interaction between the two with a whole lot in it. That, and I'm only going to touch on a few of these things as to why we pray. But, but look at how 
God gets Moses' attention and says, it's time for you to go down to your people. And it's like God saying, okay, Moses, is all your fault. You know, if I'm Moses at that stage, I'm like, wait a minute. God, I mean, you, you're the one that called me. Remember? You're, remember that burning bush thing? You know, you're the one that called me to, to do all of this. And in a sense, God is putting it back on Moses. It's your people. They're ruined. You brought them out of Egypt. And, and then he says, all right, so you, just get out of the way so I can destroy them. And then out of you, I'll make you a great nation. Moses demonstrates such a maturity, more mature than me, for sure. That he says, no, God, that is not. That's not what's best for your glory. Don't you see what will happen with what the Egyptians will say? If you bring us out and then you just destroy us? How's that? How is that in line with your character? How is that in line with your promises? Moses is pretty bold there, huh? I mean, he is arguing with God, disagreeing with God. And what I grasp from this and the fullness of Scripture is that prayer is the place, the place that I am called and you are called to be real. No need to fake it. You don't have no, no need to, to play like you're... you're you have a certain face on. No, no facades with God. Because the most foolish thing we can do is try to hide from God. I, there's a whole lot of really foolish things in this world that we can do. But the most foolish thing, because it is impossible, is to try to fool God. Is to be somebody we aren't before God. You, you know, I mean, you know how that is, right? You know how the faces you put on depending on who you're with? You know? Or, you know, what are the faces that you have to put on in all the different places that you live? You know, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's school, with people you don't know, people you do know, at church. You know, all the different faces that we put with God. There are no, there's no need to put on a single face. Let them all down. Stop wasting your energy. Trying to be somebody you're not with God. If you disagree with God, let him know. He's pretty big. He can handle it. You know, Jesus, what a model on the cross, right? He quoted Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I believe one of the reasons for me in my own experience, in my own sense of Scripture... The reason I pray is because it's the place that I can be most authentically me. It's the place where I experience me the most. Because there are so many other places that I feel like I need to be somebody else than me. Can you all relate to that? You have other settings where you just can't be you. But in prayer... Warts and all, pain and all, anger and all, I can let it out. And it's there, in talking to God and listening to God, that I begin to realize who I really am. And what are some of the things going on in me that truly are my passions, that what truly is my, my gut. I learn there what's important to me. 
uh, Hannah, my oldest, went to school uh, this last week and uh, drove herself. You know, so as a parent, you know, we're, we're sitting there, okay, what are the magic words you know, to tell her as she's heading down, you know, for her sophomore year? You know, as, and as a parent, you know, I mean, your children, sorry, children, but, you know, they're sort of like your greatest invention, you know? I mean, it's sort of like this is the project of the last 19 years, you know? And it's sort of like, what are the, what's the magic words to say here? What is it? And, and so in, in a time of, of prayer, and, and let me say too, my, my conversations with God are nothing like God's conversations with Moses. They're nowhere near as clean and clear where I say and then God speaks. It's, it's really a whole lot more fuzzy and sort of whirling around and I'm not even sure what I'm saying. And then all of a sudden in the midst of it, ding, and an idea just comes. And I believe that's the Spirit speaking to me. And what I heard in that, what we'll call a conversation, but certainly a time of prayer, certainly a time of me being, recognizing God's presence and seeking to speak and hear, was that there are no magic words of do this or don't do that. But it was, I was what I really wanted to say was, your dad's proud of you. And that's what I really needed to say. Your, your dad's proud of you. And be careful. It slipped out. It did slip out. But, but did you hear me the first time? You know? and, and that it's in that time of prayer that it was God revealing to me what truly was my own heart's desire that in the midst of all the hustle and bustle of life with all the other facades that we put on, I wasn't attentive to and wasn't hearing. A, a, a similar kind of situation in the sense of, of praying with God through one where a, an institution had wronged me and wronged us as a family. And, and uh, I was angry and upset and disappointed. I won't give you the details so as not to impugn the institution because um, it was an honest mistake. But in prayer, as I was calling down God's curses, <laughs> you know, God you know, s- began to impress upon me, you know, wait a minute. There may be another side to this story. Maybe other things that are going on. And, you know, so sorry for you with your little hangnail, which in the world's scope of things, I mean, it's a hangnail. And, and then as he, just in that time, also recognized anew that God was speaking to me to say, you know, no matter how you feel wronged, which you were, you never have the right, and it is never something you're to do as a follower of Jesus to treat another human being anything less than a full human being. So never let your anger lead you beyond that. And so the letter that I wrote then, that we wrote actually, incorporated that the fullness of the humanity of those that we were engaging with and also, but also did fully communicate the disappointment in the way that we were wronged. But that came through that give and take, that interaction with the living God 
as he revealed to me me. Warts and all. And led to the actions that were honoring him. You see the same thing with Moses, I think here. That this, this interaction was one to prepare him for when he did go down the mountain. You know, when he did go down and, and talk to the Israelites after they'd formed the golden calf, after Aaron had totally, you know, thrown him under the bus and t- taken over. Said, hey, here's the new way to do it. I mean, Moses didn't, I don't think, had full understanding of what was going on at the bottom of the mountain. Whereas God had seen it. Moses just heard God tell him about it. And then when Moses got down the mountain and saw it, that's, you know, when he blew his head gasket. You know, but because of his preparation in prayer with God, he then led the people through a time of repentance and renewal and rededication to the ways of God and to the ways of his laws and his commandments. It incorporated a really interesting milkshake, but where they had to drink the the water that had the broken tablets in it, a new way of ingesting the word. But he was transformed and prepared, I believe, in that interaction with God to then lead the people in that serious time of repentance. And you can read that beyond the rest of the passage. So I think one of the reasons we pray is to change us. It's to to change you, to change me in that interaction with God. C.S. Lewis says as much, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. And my one issue with C.S. Lewis is that last statement. I agree with it theologically and all the rest. I mean, we don't change God. God doesn't change. But this passage messes with me how it ends. In that, in God's interaction with Moses, God responds to Moses. That's like mind-boggling. I don't get that. We're given that kind of privilege? I mean, I can get it. I can get the part about changing me. That makes a lot of sense and probably psychiatrists, psychologists and counselors in here can explain all that to me real clearly. But this, the fact that Moses and God are interacting with each other and there is a sense that God responds to Moses. And, and changes things. That Moses gets to participate with God in the rescue of the world. In, in God's salvation of the world. I mean, that's what he's doing through Israel. That's why he's called Moses. That's why he's called Israel. That's why he's leading them into the promised land. It's the rescue of the world. And Moses participates with God through prayer in the very rescue of the world. I am overwhelmed when I consider that in prayer. That not only in prayer does it change me, but we have the privilege of joining with God and changing the world 
in the power of prayer. We get to participate in our conversations with God, in our interactions with God, in our, our laying down our requests, in our interceding, in our pleading and begging with God. We get to participate in the eternal spiritual realities of all of creation. In the time that we had of collecting other stories and interacting with others, it um, came to my attention. The, uh, the Art and Elaine Statman shared with me about their son, Adam. And Adam's a, a child of this particular church, grew up here through Sunday school class and, uh, and, and uh, youth group and things like that. And now he's a um, uh, pickup, uh, a tow truck. Driver, one of them big old tow truck driver, you know, not one of them little ones that just tows cars, one of them big old things. So he's a you know strong, he's very active young man, and uh, it was about a year ago that he contracted a disease that doctors couldn't name, some kind of infection that they couldn't pin down that went through his bodies that put him in the hospital three times. Three different times they had to, you know, tap his leg, his bone, his, his thigh bone, you know, and fe- to see if they could get some of his bone marrow to figure out if there was something wrong with the marrow. I mean, all kinds. He was out of work for seven months. And what um, Arna Lane did was a strategic use of, of prayer and of community. They, they went to all the people who were here and are still living in the city who had, been, had the spiritual oversight of Adam during the years that he was growing up. They, they, went to his, they went to Betty Goodman, who taught him in like when he was three and four years old. They, they, they went to Chris Kneven, who was a, 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 like a leader in the youth group when Adam was in there, or a, um, a peer of his and a, a leader in that time. And other folks who had um, taught him in Sunday school, who were overseeing him in the youth group, and, um, and had us all. Praying for him. S- sort of like in uh, Mark uh, chapter 5 when the paralytics, when the, the, the guys surround the paralytic and bring him to Jesus, you know, and take the roof off the house and lower him in. I mean, that was sort of the story. They said, Will you carry him? Will you bring him to, to the Father? A beautiful picture of the power of prayer and of community and our responsibility as. Um, at, uh, uh, for the, the children of the church. And after about seven months with no answers in sight, with things getting worse, one morning, Adam woke up. And what he had been experiencing was gone. No longer was feeling that. Went to the doctor. And all the battery of tests that they'd taken, testing his blood, all of a sudden, all his counts were normal. They were in the range that they were supposed to be. And no answer was given or even understood. But Art and Elaine say clearly, it was God's people carrying Adam to the throne and bringing about healing. And that we have that opportunity to participate with God in His work in the world. Now, there are plenty of other times when 
we pray and God answers no. Maggie Smith is not here today because she's at the funeral of her six-year-old niece, Abby, who has been in and out of the hospital her whole six years of life. And up and down and has been carried in the same way by a national collection of people who are praying. So it's never so simple of one plus one equals two with God and with how things work. But we do know from this passage and our experience that we get to participate with God in the work that He is doing in the world according to His wisdom and according to His purposes. And that is mind-boggling to me. But that's why we pray. We pray because it changes us and it changes the world. So let's pray together. And before we bow our head, I'm going to invite our prayer to come forward. Carol, if you'll come forward and pray um, with us. One, one of the things that uh, blessed me at the, the block party and uh, was seeing Carol out uh, there at the block party praying and asking for requests, just walking around the parking lot. And she'd even lost a little green cards, the official green cards that I'd uh, made for us to use for that way. And so she just made her own little yellow ones. And she met with more than four people even. So she did even more than what we had, we had asked. And it was just a blessing for me to see her out there doing that. And what you don't, what some of you may not know, maybe a lot of everybody does, but uh, Carol was very active in music and in teaching music and playing, but because of illness now is physically unable to do that. And yet... Has, and maybe she'll share the story with us um, of how it, it happened, but has really taken on the mantle of being a prayer warrior for us uh, as a congregation and on behalf of us. And so um, as we were talking, and she was sharing with some of those requests, I said, well, Carol, maybe that's a gift you could share with us um, on Sunday. So ask Carol to lead us um, boldly into the throne room. Yeah. Thank you. I wasn't going to share this in this service, but since Drew alluded to it, I will. Fifteen years ago, my dad died um, at 90. He was ready to go. And uh, my son was living with him at the time and called me on Saturday morning and uh, and said, you need to come down. Grandpa's passed away. And so I went down, and he was in his bed, lying on his back with his hands nicely folded across his chest. And I looked at him, and I remembered his godly life. And I remembered he was known as a man of prayer. And I just prayed a simple prayer. God, give me a double portion of his spirit of prayer. And uh, I didn't know what that would mean in my life, uh, but God has has given me a heart to pray. 
And it's like Bruce said, I sit down to pray and it sometimes just gets all muddled up. But I'm so glad I'm standing here in front of this table. I know it is the communion table, we call it, we think of the Lord's Supper and it truly is what it is. But when I was growing up, my dad also taught me that this was the mercy seat. Representative of the mercy seat of the old tabernacle. And there have been times that I've come into this sanctuary so burdened for this church because I didn't know if we were going to make it. And I knelt in front of that mercy seat. And, uh, of course, lots of people were praying. And uh, I've always found God faithful. Just so faithful. Just so faithful. I bless your name this morning, Father. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh God, we know this morning that we come in only one name. We're lots of people, but we come in one name, the name of Jesus. And you've taught us to come. You've said come. And everything about you is open to, to us. You're the king of glory. And you give us the priceless privilege of coming to you. And how sweetly you meet with us day by day. And surely, Father, the saddest words in the scripture are the ones that Jesus said. How oft I would have gathered you. As a mother hen takes her chicks under her wings. And you would not. You refused. God, would you say that about us this morning? That you wanted to gather us under your wings like a mother hen? That you wanted to heal that sick person in our family? That you wanted to deliver our son from drugs? That you wanted to deliver our alcoholic husband or our broken marriage? And you would not come. Oh God, give us a coming heart this morning. Give us a coming heart, a seeking heart. We come this morning in the name of Jesus in behalf of these people. This is the place that you've called us to minister. And we look around, we know that even though these people may have a smile on their face, there may be heavy, heavy burdens on their hearts. And, oh God, we pray this morning that these people will reach out to you. We think of the ones that are, are broken in spirit, just weary, Lord, just weary of the battle, just would love to give up. We pray, Father, that you will give rest to the weary this morning. As they come to you, we pray for the ones in our midst that need healing. We think of Stan Mosier in Michigan, um, recovering from surgery. We pray that your healing hand will be upon him. We think of our dear loved ones in hospice, Bob Worth and Betty Bailey and Marion Zimmerman and probably others here that I don't know. Lord, Visit them during this final, the final days of their lives. 
Oh, God, be so real to them. Just come around them and bless them with your angels and with a wonderful sense of your presence. And we pray for people that are here that are struggling in their marriages, struggling in family relationships. Oh, God, we pray that the spirit of Satan will not prevail, that the spirit of strife and offense will be dropped, and that you will help us to take a bath in your holy love and just fill our homes with love and forgiveness and reconciliation. Oh, God, we come to your mercy seat this morning and pray that you would have mercy upon us. And we pray for the ones, maybe some in this very congregation, that are crying out to you for provision for their lives, that need a job, that need food, that need some provision that only you could provide, a door open that only you can open. We pray, Father, in your being Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, that you would come down and answer prayers in a way that brings much glory to you. And we just can't help but think of the images we've seen on TV of the children in Somalia. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, my children have never had to go without food. Mm -hmm. I would be crushed if my grandchildren had to go without food. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, topple these godless regimes that keep people from getting aid and things that they need to survive. We pray that you will bring rain where rain is needed, that you will bring changes in the climate, however you need to do it, so that people can feed their families. Have mercy upon us, O God. Have mercy. Have mercy on our country, Lord, as we struggle with violence and all kinds of unrest. People are unsettled, Lord. Homes are in turmoil. We think of the riots in England, England of all places. God, we pray for mercy. We pray for mercy. We stretch out our hands to you this morning, Lord. Have mercy upon us as a people. And I pray for the young people sitting here this morning and perhaps some teachers and kids that have already gone to school like Drew and Kathy's Hannah. Lord, we pray that you will keep your hand upon them. Keep them from error and deception in our lives. Fill them with the power of the Spirit. Fill them with a love for the Lord Jesus that makes them stand up and say, No, I'm not going to waste my life. I'm not going to waste my life. Oh, God, these requests are just a smidgen of what's on people's hearts. And I pray that you will answer us, Lord. Give us the hope that we need to know that you are the King of glory. You are the Lord strong and mighty. You are the Lord mighty in battle. You are absolutely undefeatable in battle. We believe you, Lord Jesus. We believe that you are the King, that you are sovereign over every host that is raged against us. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the privilege of coming to the mercy seat with our request that we might receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen.
Now, uh, that's, uh, that's a humble boldness there. And also a representation that prayer of intercession isn't a, a gift of words. It's a gift of an open heart that connects with the pain um, of the world around us. So, thank you, Carol. Um, let's now continue in that spirit of worship and that spirit of, of openness and, and generosity and pursuing the ways of God as we